0: Long ago, Rabbit was a great hunter. He lived with his grandmother in a lodge which stood deep in the Micmac Forest. It was winter, and Rabbit set traps and laid snares to catch game for food. He caught many small animals and birds, until one day he discovered that some mysterious being was robbing all his traps. Rabbit and his grandmother became hungry. Every morning, he visited the traps— and he found them empty. At first, Rabbit thought that the robber might be a slick wolverine, until one morning he found long, very long, narrow footprints outside his trap line. It was the tracks of the robber, but they looked like moonbeams. Each morning, Rabbit rose earlier and earlier, but the mysterious creature with a long foot was always ahead of him and his traps were always empty. Rabbit made a trap from a bowstring with the loop so cleverly fastened, he felt certain he would catch the robber this time. He took one end of the thong with him and hid himself behind a clump of bushes where he could watch. There was bright moonlight while he waited, but suddenly it became very dark as the moon disappeared. A few stars were still shining and there were no clouds in the sky. So Rabbit wondered what had happened to the moon. Someone, or something, came stealthily through the trees, and then Rabbit was almost blinded by a flash of bright, white light, which went straight to his trap line and shone through the snare which he had set. Quick as a lightning flash, Rabbit jerked the bowstring and tightened the noose. There was a sound of struggling and light jerked from side to side rabbit knew he'd caught the robber he fastened the bowstring to a nearby sapling to hold the loop really tight rabbit raced back to tell his grandmother who was a wise old woman what had happened she told him that he must return at once and see who or what he had caught rabbit who was very frightened wanted to wait for daylight but his grandmother insisted and said that that might be too late so he returned to his trap line when he came near his traps rabbit saw the bright light was still there it was so bright that it hurt his eyes he bathed them in the icy water of a nearby brook but they were still stinging he made big snowballs and threw them at the light trying to put it out he'd hear them sizzle before they just melted away Next, Rabbit scooped up great pawfuls of soft clay from the stream and made many big clay balls. He was a good shot and threw the balls with all of his force at the dancing white light. He heard them strike hard, and then his prisoner shouted. A strange, quivering voice asked why he had been snared and demanded that he be set free at once, because he was the man in the moon and he must be home before dawn came. His face had been spotted and marked heavily with the clay, and when Rabbit went closer, the moon man saw him and threatened to kill him and all of his tribe if he were not released at once. Rabbit was so terrified that he raced back to tell his grandmother about his strange captive. She too was much afraid and told Rabbit to return and release the thief immediately. So Rabbit went back. And his voice shook with fear as he told the man in the moon that he would be released if he promised never to rob the snares again to make doubly sure rabbit asked him to promise that he would never return to earth and the moon man swore that he would never do so rabbit could hardly see in the dazzling light but at last he managed to gnaw through the bowstring with his teeth and the man in the moon disappeared back into the sky leaving a bright trail of light behind him. Rabbit had been nearly blinded by the great light. Even today, rabbits blink as though light is too strong for their eyes. Their eyelids are pink, and their eyes water if they look at a bright light. Their lips quiver, telling of rabbit's terror. The man in the moon has never returned to earth. When he lights up the world, we can still see the marks from the clay that rabbit threw on his face. Sometimes he disappears for a few nights when he's trying to rub those old marks away. But alas, he's been scarred. We can all see on a clear night that the man in the moon has never been able to wash away those scars. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, an indie artist, and I believe the natural world is a mystical place full of both romance and pain, lights and darkness. Let's explore that darkness, the night and its beautiful moon. Have you ever seen a moonbow? They're rare, but they happen. They're just like rainbows, but they occur at night and are produced by the moon's light instead of the sun's. They look silvery and white, but they do hold the entire color spectrum that you see when you look at a rainbow. However, the faint light of the moon can't trigger the color receptors of the human eye, and so we don't see what's actually there. A full spectrum of color. You can capture it on film, though, if you use a longer exposure settings. There's a couple of places on Earth where these do appear very often and are not so rare. One of those places is the Upper Yosemite Fall, and another is Cumberland Falls in Kentucky. There are places in Africa and Hawaii. All of these places where it happens more often are waterfalls usually. And not everybody calls them moonbows. Most people call them lunar rainbows. There's a cloud forest in Costa Rica that shows one once in a while. A cloud forest is a forest that, just like it sounds, gets a a lot of low-lying cloud coverage because of the massive amounts of rain and humidity. The mist there is what catches the light and creates these lunar rainbows. I've seen a couple. They're so mysterious looking because they're happening in the dark. Everything's misty and you just feel like you're sitting in this beautifully filmed movie with the perfect lens filters. It's all very glamorous looking. You need a very bright full moon and a lot of mist to see one. They've occurred here on my property once or twice. This place is very wet and we see a lot of storms and mist here quite often, but I still only see a moonbow very rarely. This place is also very dark and shadowed with all the mountain corners and hills and thickets. Now, there's also something else that looks similar to a lunar rainbow, but isn't, and it's called a lunar halo, and it works differently. Everybody knows how rainbows work. The light penetrates water droplets, and they bend that light until it separates, and you can see the various colors that make up the light because each color bends or refracts differently but with a lunar halo the moonlight is refracting off of frozen ice crystals in cirrus clouds not water droplets and a halo will create a circle around the moon a lunar rainbow or moonbow has its center opposite of the moon it bends away looks like a regular rainbow just dimmer a little more silvery looking, and in the night. Now let's explore dark energy. What is it? We have absolutely no idea what it is, but it makes up the biggest part of our universe. This is not dark matter, which only makes up 27%. It's dark energy. Just a generalized name that scientists at NASA gave this strange phenomenon that's Taken up space something's in space that's making universal expansion actually accelerate because of gravity which is the total opposite of what we all believed for years for a while scientists even thought that einstein's theory of gravity was wrong because nobody could explain why we were accelerating in our expansion instead of slowing down And we were only able to understand that all this had been wrong all along when along came 1998 and the Hubble telescope saw some things that proved otherwise. So we have what we're calling dark energy now, 68% of the universe. Let me break this down. 27% dark matter. That leaves only a teeny tiny little 5% of what we call normal energy, which is just that energy that we can tangibly measure here on earth with our instruments. Wow, we are so egotistical to think that we have to have an explanation for everything that we can't see or it isn't real. We certainly can't explain dark energy, the biggest source of energy that makes us all up, and it's real, Maybe we should change our idea of normal. Empty space has never been nothing. There's something in it. It's not empty. We are not solid bodies. Light and radio and radiation waves pass through us all the time. Hormones and pheromones pass through us. We can only see in one direction. We only like to try and understand what we can process as light waves with these very limited, subpar devices called human eyes. They don't even work that good in most people. Yet we get stuck on the idea that the only things that exist are the things that we can see right in front of our very limited eyes, and the things that we sense with those limited senses that happen to be vaguely attached to a brain. And I say vaguely because most of us are in such bad physical condition anyway and don't even feed our brains properly that those brains and sense receptors are always malfunctioning. So now we have not empty space. We're surrounded by 68% dark energy and we're defectively limited as to how much of it we can actually see or measure at all. And in addition to that, it's believed by some scientists and astronomers that if space continues to accelerate its expansion and more dark energy comes into being, the strength of that dark energy will eventually be able to rip the fabric of space and time. They're calling this the Big Rip as opposed to the Big Bang. Now try to wrap your head around that. It all keeps getting more and more complicated. And we are this massive group of human beings with big egos who don't like to admit defeat, who rely on some instruments that we made and what we can see from our limited vision to try and figure out the whole universe. That's insanity. And that leads me to what I want to say to all those people out there who believe in things that nobody else can explain or see. You are not alone. If an astronomer who's been studying things like this for his or her entire life can't even deny the existence of what can't be seen or detected or measured, then don't you feel bad the next time someone wants to make fun of you or judge you for experiencing some kind of intense, intimate epiphany that you can't explain. The ratio of unexplainable to what we do know is a huge difference. The former being way bigger. Nobody can tell you you did not experience something or you weren't given some sort of knowledge from grace. Moving on. In the fall of 2018, astronomers discovered a rogue, freestyling planet roaming around by itself without a star that had a bigger magnetic field than Jupiter. And its magnetism is 4 million times stronger than Earth's. Its magnetism is so strong that it produces its own light show. The planet is called S-I-M-P, SIMP. It's traveling along the Milky Way about 20 light years from the sun. This planet generates auroras, or what? Some people like to call polar light displays that are way more spectacular than our own northern lights are here on Earth. I think that's cool. We've got this massive anarchist planet out there just wandering around our galaxy on its own volition. I'm just fascinated with space. I'm going to read a paper that I wrote back, well, a part of a paper that I wrote back in uh, 2016 or 17. I tweaked it a little bit to fit this podcast. I was living up north, but I had a, an epiphany that day. And usually when I, I have these epiphanies, I write them down in some form or another. And here's a little bit of it. We are literally stardust. Stars explode some of the heavier ones bursting into supernovas, and it all falls to Earth where it showers over us, the plants we eat, the air we breathe, and the water that takes up most of our physical being. This happened millions of years ago, and it continues on forever. Our bodies are in a constant state of regeneration. We are made up of the same old-as-the-universe stuff that kids dream about when they look up into the sky at night. Ask any astrophysicist. As a matter of fact, there's a book one of them wrote with his wife, Living with the Stars. They explore the logistics of how we genuinely mirror the natural world. And it's amazing. Now take one step forward into how compounds are formed. The highly volatile sodium, for example, is present in dying stars and is sometimes even used as a tracer to study them. It falls to Earth, eventually seeping into the ground and everything else. Sodium possesses an extra electron on its body that results in a huge explosion when it hits water. Chlorine, also unstable due to its lack of an electron, is bouncing around from element to element looking for stability. It can combine with many things, but it's mainly looking for just that one electron that it's missing. When these two molecules pair and find each other and connect, an extraordinary thing happens. Their opposite charges attract and form the magic of salt, completely balancing each other out and calming down the more volatile and poisonous actions. This is happening on every level of the universe and within our bodies as we breathe. We are living, walking copies of a constant dance to regenerate and decay. We move colossal volumes of energy with every thought we burn, generating an erotic flow of perpetual constitution. This impulse is a sensual affair with creation. It is the most powerful force that exists. Sensuality is an energy that imitates the creative forces of our universe, yet we seem to do everything that we can to find fault in it. The general consensus in dealing with sensuality is to slut-shame women and emasculate men for being sensitive, for being sensitive to these instincts and connected to the galaxy. We cannot stand to see anyone embracing their sensual nature, defying the tradition to remain stoic and constantly focused on work and production. We've even tossed in organized ceremonies with a religious flair and some condemnation to give it an extra kick. This works to separate us from each other and from nature, which is the most honest, spiritualistic connection that we can get. There's a lack of balance, a lack of mental stability. And then we become the ones bouncing around, looking for that missing electron. There is so much wrong with the idea that choosing to live pleasurably is irresponsible. Sensuality is a superpower. Sensuality is not running around with your clothes half off, trying to sleep with everybody in your path on your way to joy. Sensuality is the essence of creative energy. That's all. Sensuality is not an action. It's the drive behind an action. It's attractive. The reason people get criticized for being sensual is not because it isn't alluring it's attractive and everything healthy in the universe has some shameless degree of it. Real sensuality is nothing more than melting into the flux of nature. It's visible in body language and behavior. And that's a very powerful energy that makes things happen. If we retain sensuality, we maintain creation I'll say this one very important thing again. Sex and sensuality are not the same thing. Sex is the active, physical goal of sensuality. But sensuality is the driving force behind these actions. It's just an expression. And in that right there, you can use it for many other things besides sex. Its energy can be used to create art, music, stories. It can generate love, passion, compassion. It can build dreams. It can inspire complete life changes and produce ideas and innovations. It can even be used to heal the body by producing the necessary hormones that need to be active for good health. Sex is the most mundane thing that you can actually do with sensual energy. There's so much more out there, and it should never be shamed away into a corner. We don't have to reach for the stars. We are the stars. We just tend to believe that the pursuit of pleasure and happiness is irresponsible and something that we shouldn't be doing. Our ideas of what brings satisfaction is based on the perversions of a society that's desperately missing something. We're bonded by sensuality, and it's the most sustainable, natural thing that we've been given. It's a hypnotically dazzling force that's too big for us to handle or fully understand. We wouldn't be here without it. Artists use it. Every time they produce a record... Or complete a film or publish a book. They know how to blend sensuality into production. It's a creative force. It might be part of that dark energy that makes up the cosmos. I don't know. Do you know? Does anybody? But we've got it. And in using it, we're playing with the strongest force imaginable pure creative energy. Yes, it feels sensual and it feels good, so we'll be inclined to use it. Everything that moves in this world has a sensual energy inside it. Wake up, step outside, and breathe in the sensuality of the stars, the sun, and cosmic creation. You are a vital part of that never-ending flow of the universe. This world, this life, is a very romantic, an eternally mysterious place to explore. This has been Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'd like to thank the most elite supporters of this podcast, Sheila McGregor, Bruce Presson, Chris Nolan, William Bishop, Yvonne Ragland, Robin Umber, and Arnold Bloom. A million thank yous to the people who have donated generously to the tip jar this week, via PayPal on the website. And I wish you all a healthy, happy, productive weekend.